Hello, and welcome to the Phuket Stories Podcast. I'm your moderator, Saigon Steve. On this special podcast episode, we'll talk with military personnel who were stationed in Vietnam and talk with them about their extraordinary experiences. This podcast is pre-recorded, but you're invited to participate on future podcasts by emailing your contact information to phuketstories at gmail.com. That's phuketstories at gmail.com. So let's get started with today's special guests. Our guests today are Jan Scruggs and Dennis Haynes, who served in the Vietnam War. Jan Scruggs conceived the idea of building a memorial to Vietnam veterans. He founded the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund, which built the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. The wall, as it is known, is visited by over 5 million persons yearly. Dennis Haynes served in Vietnam with the 199th Light Infantry Brigade. He started initially as a radio man, then an M60 machine gunner team squad leader. While approaching a suspected Viet Cong-occupied village, he was struck in the head with two enemy-fired rounds that changed his life forever. Here now is Jan Scruggs to begin the conversation. Thank you, Saigon Steve. I'm here with Dennis Haynes. How did you end up in Vietnam? We all ended up there for different reasons, and uh, yeah. how did you end up there? I looked at my options if I would have volunteered. Air Force was four years. Uh, I think the Army was three if you volunteered. So I just decided to ride it out and see if I'd get drafted, which, of course, I did. And uh, the same day I showed up for my physical, at the end of that day I was on a plane headed to Fort Benning. I, uh, n- I note that you and I are both veterans of the 199th Light Infantry Brigade. Yep. When I got there in 1969, we were sort of still charged with the defense of Saigon, but we moved uh, north to a place called Swan Luc. But you yep. were there. But what, what month did you get to Vietnam? March of 68. So we were still chasing the bad guys out of the south. Yes. There was a, a lot of a lot of heavy fighting, and uh, your primary weapon was the M60 machine gun, is that correct? Yes. So why don't you tell me what what happened? I'm sure you've told the story about a hundred times. You went to a Viet Cong village, a village that appeared to be Viet Cong and related uh, or sympathizers. So what, what happened on that day? I'd done a uh, patrol, a recon patrol down in that area earlier in the day because my squad was supposed to be the lead squad on that operation that night we were doing a cordon which is to circle the village and then the next morning uh mac v and some south vietnamese were going to come through and go door to door but uh that night uh we got we went down the road it wasn't quite dark dark yet and uh our ceo told me to put flank security out on both sides, which I did, of this main dike, which was about the width of a road, and uh, myself and John uh, John Miller went off to the right side, which was toward the village, 
and that was the way I was going to start out to circle it. And I told my guys that were back on the main dike to just uh, hold up till they got to go ahead to move out and then come into John and I. I told John because we were both uh, minus sleep for quite a while. And I told John if he, if he needs to, he can lay down and, and get some catch some Z's. And at the same time, uh, I remember hearing some rustling in the hooch, which was right in front of us. When I was there, I had my M16 by my side for going that, for being squad leader. I gave up the 60. And uh, I heard some rustling in front of me. And that got my attention. I, I got up on my knees, which was probably the wrong thing to do. Because the next thing I remember seeing is a bright flash, which I think was the muzzle flash of an AK-47. And uh, fell backwards into a rice paddy that had some water in it. And uh, John Miller, whom I just got reunited with here about five years ago, told me that it wasn't just one one guy that shot there's a result kind of automatic weapons fire going on and even had an incoming rpg so there was quite a lot of enemy in that in that village uh, where they were at during the day i don't know but uh, john jumped in and to help to keep my head out of the water so that i wouldn't get uh, a lot of that gunk in there and uh, i was laying there conscious for a while yeah uh, that, that john was holding me and uh, I remember him saying, here come some of the guys from the squad coming in. And uh, they told me to hang on. Uh, the chopper would be there in probably less than 15 minutes. And I remember being pulled up, pulled sideways up onto the stretcher because I was higher that has those little feet and all four corners being pulled up. I could feel the, the sidebar of the of the stretcher going up under my back. And uh, right. after that, I, I must have uh, went on consciousness because uh, next thing I remember, I woke up in the uh, 24th of Act Hospital. I was not awake long enough to really identify anyone. I just know that I woke up while I was there and found my right hand tied to the, uh, to the side of the bed. I don't remember the helicopter ride from the field to the 24th of Act. I don't remember being offloaded, so I must have been unconscious. That's where I came into contact with Dr. John Baldwin. And it just so happened that uh, that he was not operating on anyone that night. He had 14 head injuries come in that evening. And uh, he was... You were hit uh, with a bullet? Yeah, AK-47. And you were hit and, in the uh, head? Yes, I was. Uh, the right side of my head, which paralyzed me. On my left side, so I'm a hemiplegic, they call me. And today, are you still paralyzed? Yes. You have a wheelchair, and that, that's kind of how you get along? Yeah, I can I can walk and get along, but I stumble more than I, more than I get walking done. So I stick to the wheelchair. It's less chance of yeah. falling, and I don't yeah. need any more problems than I already got. I can't tell you how much I admire you. And... Uh, what you've been through is awful. A lot of people couldn't deal with it. But, you know, you do such a great job of inspiring people. Uh, you are an example of a patriot. You volunteer your services to the Veterans Administration. 
mm-hmm. you help bring people up who are down. So it's really important that you keep up that good work. Yeah, you saw me at the ceremonies. Yes, ceremonies, yeah, at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. I used to be the MC and the mm-hmm. CEO of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund. Uh, that was way, way back. But I always noticed you because you had that little 199th patch there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see these hero welcomes coming for these Iraq veterans and Afghanistan yeah. veterans. How does that make you feel? I, f- I feel like I was cheated because we never got the welcome home like that. Uh, it, it was sad the way we came back and people were really kind of against us. I just think it's great that they get the welcome home that they're getting. I just wish we could have had a little a little bit of that. Not maybe not to the degree that they have. Yeah. Just a nice pat on the back and a welcome home would have been would have been sufficient. Would have gone wanna gone would have gone a long way. Well what we did with the Vietnam Veterans Memorial is all my idea was we said said, Look, we're gonna separate the war from the warrior. You can be yeah. against the war, but let's not be against these guys like you and I who just you know, mm-hmm. do their duty for the country. And that turned out uh, just fine. We got a great deal of support. And now five million plus people a year come to see it internationally. It's a great I know. That's part. amazing. How do you keep from being bitter about the plate that life has served you? Well, you know, I keep myself pretty busy. And I really don't have time to reflect on that. And I'm not going to tell you that I never do because when there are times when, when I am down that I, that I reflect on that. But uh, for the most part, I, I, I try to be positive. Well, again, you inspire so many people by being there at these ceremonies, by shaking people's hands and talking to them. It's just very, very much appreciated. And now let's turn it over to Saigon Steve, who has a few questions for Dennis Haynes. Dennis Haynes, you were in the light infantry, which is basically uh, you go everywhere the helicopters take you. You have no fixed address, right? No, so, we didn't. We were, we were pretty much what I call air assault. So you are out living in the jungle during the night? There's, you're not going back to any kind of a base, is that correct? No. No, we slept under our ponchos every night. They tell me that in, at nighttime you see tigers, snakes, spiders. Well, I, you never knew what was going to be crawling up on you at night. Uh, I think I got bit or stung by something because I I was uh, medevaced to the rear early on in my tour over there. And it just came up fever of unknown origin. So I think something bit me. That's just the way it was. And, uh, of course, we had a battle with leeches because we were mostly in the paddies. A few times we were actually north of the paddies where we were pretty much on dry land. We were in the pineapple region. We were up in the uh, rubber plantations. We were in the uh, sugar cane plantations. So we were pretty much all over the place. Well, it's been said when you're there in the very first 30 days, you are really attuned to noise and visual things happening. What's that Mm -hmm. like? You're really not sleeping soundly when you're in that kind of a mode, right? No, you're not. Everyone had a chance at pulling what we called maybe two hours of watch every night because we had a call in on the radio every hour on the hour, a sit rep which was a situation report. And uh, so 
that, that's what I said. Uh, and even the night that I was wounded, uh, my buddy and I had both both been without sleep for a pretty long period of time. And uh, pretty soon you just get used to that. We used to crash during the day because during the day we would uh, come in in the morning at sunrise back to the uh, base camp or at least the forward base camp. And then during the day we catch some some Z's because we had people in the bunkers, you know, pulling guard. You started out as a radio man. What are the duties of a radio man? Okay, well, I carried the radio at first for the platoon, which I uh, I carried it for a uh, first lieutenant, I think it was. And uh, it was pretty much just communication between uh, battalion and and the platoon or, or even from the company commander to the platoon and uh of course i was i was used if we had a call in artillery i was the one that uh repeated the coordinates to the to the artillery base camp were those radios and, uh, big with the uh, battery backpacks and things of that nature oh yeah in fact uh, the ones that we carried were mounted to the uh to the rucksack frame and it was pretty heavy i forget what they weighed but uh it was a good i'm gonna say 50 pounds anyway and they have a very long antenna i believe your antenna was hit by enemy fire yeah it was uh that was the day my buddy jack was killed uh i got to vietnam uh in march and uh not long after i was there i met a guy from mountville which is geographically from where i live maybe about uh 30 miles away in pennsylvania here and uh he was killed that was our first uh my first combat in fact i received the combat infantry award for that action that day but uh he was killed and uh that was that was a pretty tough moment because we were because we lived so close to each other geographically we became very real good friends it was just it was just really tough my first and of course that was an air assault deal too uh we lost a a track there an apc uh they were ambushed as they were rolling through the village this was the aluminum apcs and a b-40 rocket launcher literally melted the side of the uh apc because they had uh gotten rid of their m16s and and took up ak-47s which they seem to have a good supply of ammo for those. And it literally melted the weapons to the side of the APC inside. So we knew when we were flown in, there was the hot LZ. We were drawing fire as we got off the helicopters that day and uh, worked our way in toward the village. Uh, of course, my first contact with enemy fire, uh, I was kind of beside myself and, uh, my platoon sergeant was to my right. I'm laying there face down, trying to stay below the uh, weapons fire coming from the village. And all of a sudden he says, everybody up, we're going to do a frontal assault. And in my mind, I'm thinking, we're going to do what? <laughs> and he said, come on, Haynes, get up, let's go. So we did. And luckily, we made it the whole way into where the bunkers were. And... Uh, dodged some enemy fire that day but i did notice that when when they opened up on jack 
later that day I had a chance to assess my equipment and I had a notch in my uh, in my antenna about uh, six inches above my head. You know, when you take basic training, they try to train you for combat, but does that training kick in when you're under that first attack? I don't think it would have kicked in had it not been for the platoon sergeant because he was... He had been there for a while, so this wasn't his first uh, first dance, and uh, he was able to uh, keep everybody together and have us move in. And eventually, we took over the bunkers and uh, and blew them one by one. I was never so scared in all my life as what it was when all of a sudden bullets were coming our way. And uh, it's just uh, an experience you can you can train for it, but you're never really prepared for it. Can you actually see human figures firing at you, or is it just muzzle shots? Just muzzle flash. No, I'll tell you what, the, the portholes that they had to fire out of were so so narrow, I'm going to say uh, maybe two, three inches. So they're just firing at random. They really can't zero in on, on anybody. It's just a No. If you're at the wrong no. place at the wrong time, that's it, right? Yeah. No, my buddy that was killed, uh, he was kind of like right in front of him. So, I mean, there was no no doubt that they saw there was someone there that they fired at. So the bottom line, after that uh, engagement with the enemy, uh, were the enemy destroyed during that firefight? Well, yeah, what happened was uh, we ended up blowing all the bunkers with uh, C4 and grenades. And then uh, we didn't know for sure that we got them all so we pulled back from that village and had an f1 an f4 come in and drop some armaments to really blow it up and then uh, that evening we set up on a on a big dike right outside of that village and uh the elite squad i forget which squad that was uh platoon i should say they saw some movement and some some of the bad guys trying to work their way out of the village and get out of there. So we didn't get them all. And uh, we had a 90-millimeter recoilless rifle that was in that lead element. They loaded a beehive around and fired it toward where these guys were walking out of. I don't know that we got if, – if we got any of them, there was no evidence except that there was blood on the ground because they pulled them all into spider holes and – and we never found bodies. Although we did go back in the following day then and uh, had to pull bodies out of the bunkers. Dennis Haynes, you were in country for nine months. During that time, how many firefights do you think you were in? Oh, my gosh. I mean, like I say, we were always going to help the guys that were already in trouble with the enemy. So uh, I'm going to say at least a dozen so your light brigade was almost like a SWAT team, right? Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, I mean, we we didn't carry the uh, rucksacks; we carried mainly just uh, water, ammunition, and that was about it. The rucksacks got left behind, and they were flown into us if we were set up anywhere of sort of a permanent site, or maybe we'd be for a couple of days to a week. But yeah, we. Uh, we, we got there to where we were needed, either one way or the other. If it wasn't by helicopters, ragboat or, uh, or APCs. 
So when you were dispatched, you knew you were going into a firefight. It wasn't just a reconnaissance oh. mission. Oh yeah, and more than more than not, it was a, usually a hot LZ, which means we were drawing fire as we were going into the landing zone. And what does that do to your mindset that you know you're going into hell? I'll tell you what. Uh, in the beginning, I was scared to death, but uh, after, after a while, you just uh, pray to God that you're going to get through it and and do whatever you got to do. Well, Dennis Haynes. We can't say enough to thank you for everything you did. You, you paid the the price for being there, and I, all I can say is uh, the country is grateful for it. And um, you know, I'm I'm I, I'm a wordsmith, and I am really at a loss for words to say what I would like to say to you. Uh, the words just leave me. But the only thing I can say is, Dennis Haynes, thank you for your service. Well, thank you, and that's very much appreciated. I wish we just had more of that when we came back. I ended up coming back then to Walter Reed Army Medical Center. That's where I was to serve out the rest of my time till they medically retired me. Well, that wraps up another special episode of Foo Cat Stories. If you'd like to participate in a future Food Cat Stories podcast, email your contact information to foodcatstories at gmail.com. That's foodcatstories at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Food Cat Stories podcast. I'm Saigon Steve.